Welcome, everybody, back to another episode of the Emo Easy Podcast. I am Andy Little, joined by my co-host, John Casey. Hello. And we've got three amazing guests to the table. We've got Christopher Colbert, who's the assistant program director at UIC. Hello. In Chicago. And then we've got the the minds, the hearts, the all the work behind CMD back on the show, Lexi Mannix and Melissa Parsons, who are an APD at UF Jax and, and a, the newly minted program director. Yes. Welcome, welcome, and congratulations. Yeah. Thank you for having us back. So we were trying to, Lexi and I were wrestling, I don't say wrestling, we were we were communicating back and forth about a topic and we decided to go over the topic. I think that the five of us can all speak to is deciding how you spend your free time. Yeah. And so if you didn't know about the five people at the table is we are all over, I don't say, I don't want to sound cocky, but we're all overachievers who do way more than we probably should with a little bit of time that we have. Is that an accurate description of the five of? I think it would be fair to say we all attempt to fit more in the time we have than we probably should. That's probably the better way to, that's probably yeah, the better way to say yeah. it. So, no judgment about your intentions, yeah. right? And, and, and knowing that the five of us, although we all are involved in medical education, the way we administer that is very different despite you know the proximity to what we do. So the question really comes down to is, how do you prioritize what you do with your free time? It's such a phenomenal question. I think there's so many layers to that, right? What is the definition of free time, right? Is that is that the space I have in my academic role to do things that I'm creatively interested in? Or are we talking about time outside of the hospital? Are we talking about time with my family? Are we talking about time just me for me? Like what is free time and how do you define it? I think is probably one of the first big questions before you can really answer it. I love that question. Well, I love that you bring that up specifically because I feel like our significant others in the group, they view our free time very differently than how we view our free time. And I spend a decent amount of my time redefining what my free time is with that individual for them to realize that, yes, I'm. you think what I'm doing is wasting my free time, but I'm actually using my time at work to have a little bit of flexibility in what I want to do and vice versa. So, Yeah, that is such a true point. So I happen to be in a relationship with someone who – is a Monday through Friday dedicated job. Also does lots of other things, right? But the the point being that her job does not routinely, if ever, require going back to the job in your head after the prescribed times. Whereas I think all of us in academics, we all feel a responsibility to our learners that essentially is 24-7, even though maybe it shouldn't be. But I love that question of free time. So I'll launch a rudimentary definition in my head, and then you guys can have a much better one because you will. But in my head, I think of free time as not probably what a lot of people think of free time as. I think what maybe you were hinting at a little bit, which is time that may be scheduled but is not dedicated to a particular task. So I find that the busier I get, I do better if I pencil in free time, which is probably an anathema to the idea, but works for me because it's the only way in my busy brain that I feel okay with setting something down. Otherwise, I feel like I need to be working on something pretty much throughout the end of the day. And I don't recommend anybody adopt that. If you think that sounds like a cool lifestyle, it's not. But I found that by penciling in or deliberately blocking, my brain accepts that as a, that that's actually a task. 
and you are completing your task by not engaging in other things. It's a way to hold yourself accountable to the, I'm going to give myself some free time this week. Here are the three, four hour blocks that that will happen. When we were walking over here, that's something we were talking about is the put the things on the calendar. And yes, it may make your calendar look busy, but it gives you the opportunity for a bit more freedom because you've protected that time for yourself. I think I kind of do similar to what you're saying, except maybe I'm not blocking free time, but I block time that I consider my personal time into the calendar. So my workouts for an entire month are already put in there so that I don't schedule a meeting and then I can't do how do I get to the hospital in time for that meeting and still go to the gym for this one hour period, things like that. So those are all built in there. And then my husband actually puts in what we're going to eat every day for the nights that I'm home for dinner. So I know, oh, these are nights I'm supposed to be home and then I can be like, oh, we have journal club tonight. I won't be there. Let's tell people. So you start to factor in, oh, I'm going to be home these days or I'm going to have this time for me to do something that's important to me. So I submit that free time is very dynamic and it changes month to month, week to week. It changes based on soccer season. It changes based on, am I reviewing applications? It changes based on, is this the end of the year and we are providing something for our residents to make sure they're identifying a place to be attending physicians? And coupled with that, you have to marry the idea that your partner has to be a part of this as well. But here's the thing. You don't want to be bound by setting time. I've done that. Because for me, I work out. And when I work out, I need to listen to music. So I get the two-in-one. I get the two-in-one with the working out and music. But what I find is that if I have to work out every morning at 5 o'clock and I need a 3 o'clock spot every time I'm off with a 7, 8, because all of us work different shifts. So I, I set a hierarchy of importance of what I need to block, but understand that your free time by definition is something in which you enjoy. And that can change in a second if your son or daughter says, I want to learn how to ride my bike today. Or my soccer game was rained out yesterday, so now I've got a soccer game on Friday. So just so I maintain my humanity and understand that my life isn't blocked into schedules, I set a high of importance of this is what's important. You don't want to get into a routine of being frustrated by not fitting in your free time because life takes place. I love you bring up the idea that on top of all this, it has to be flexible. Something that was kind of brought up earlier that Melissa and I 100% talked about again on our walkover is the two-in-one, the three-in-one, finding ways to kind of double up, right? Like I want to get movement in today, but I also want to spend time with my husband. So we're going to go on a bike ride before I go to shift, right? Or I'm going to listen to this book while I'm cleaning my house. Or not that cleaning your house is fun, free time activity, but finding ways to kind of do two or maybe three things at once, I've found to really help with me actually doing the things that I want to do and maybe some of the things I have to do. For me, a very interesting thing happened with COVID, which was I had no control over the fact that most of the things that I did and had created in my brain to be really important stopped. And although there were many things, as we all do, we hated about that time frame. The thing about that that 
the universe was trying to teach me in my own space was that I actually had control over my response to things. It's almost like the stoic approach. I can't control what happens to me, but I can control my response to it. And that was so incredibly useful when I had that time, because that was probably the first time in my adult life, probably since I was 15 or 16, that I actually experienced free time again. So uh, for me, I had created a hierarchy in my head of being on this committee or that group or doing this conference was critical. I had gotten lost in the fallacy that people cared about my participation in a particular event as much as I thought they cared. I had lost perception, not in everything, right? Not in everything, but in many things, you started to realize that every machine needs cogs. But I I knew if you asked me cognitively, like the world wouldn't stop, but I also didn't know how to do it. This is fairly smart guy, but I didn't feel like, and the amazingness that it felt when a committee reassignment came up and they were like, okay, everybody that wants to be on the committee again, just let us know. I was like, cool, I'll pass. I've got some great people that would love and be dedicated and hardworking and are smarter than I am. I had written a dialect and a story in my head that they were going to be, but no, you should stay. And they were like, cool, just email us. And the moment of clarity that came with that, that idea of free time, right? I was filling in a bunch of things that I thought was important when actually I have the right to decide if it's important or not. And that moment that came with that, it was amazing for me. And that was where I started to embrace that concept of free time again, which leads to another concept that I like found time, which I think you may have all experienced when you had that meeting that got canceled and everybody's face in here just changed. They were like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. To me, I now think of that as free time. It's funny you bring up COVID because that was when, when I changed jobs and moved to Florida and I changed the way that I viewed some of the responsibilities I was given. So I sat down with my new boss and here's what we want you to do. And they gave me the list of means they wanted. And I actually dug deeper. I just set some healthy boundaries early on in my job to where it's changed the culture in our group to where we don't have meetings that don't have purpose. And we have a short meeting to go over the hot topics. It's definitely changed the way that I view time and that so much of what we do doesn't have to actually be done in that sense. We do a lot of time to report stuff. We do a lot of time to talk about and hash issues out. And those can all be done remotely, whether it's on whatever your group messaging system is, or before those would be long, day-long meetings to where it's like, just do some of the work and share it. I think it's funny because some of what you just touched on really resonates with me and some of it I feel very differently. So one being, I think COVID really brought a lot of opportunity for virtual work, for asynchronous work, et cetera, which I really loved. The flip to that is I felt like when COVID was peaking, my job became so much more all-encompassing because I think some of what we do with the residents and them coming to us, you know, like you said, it's a 24-7 job when you're in residency education. And it felt like the job got bigger. 
And maybe now it's starting to kind of compress back down. But to me, I feel like COVID gave me less free time, even though there were maybe less things like to check boxes. Yeah. And I guess maybe the COVID gave me clarity on the times that I think I was wasting before is probably the way, the better way to say that is that it made me realize we do not need to have this four hour meeting. This can be a one hour meeting with notes and everybody submits their stuff. So I can deal with the five phone calls I'm going to get today about, hey, I took care of somebody who was sick. I now have a fever. What do you want me to do? John and I talked a little bit about it when COVID was going on. I said, when you were in APD, how many phone calls would you get a month from a resident? And you said like two or three at best. And then COVID, you're getting two or three a day or two or three an afternoon. COVID provided us a pause. It was a collective pause. And there's many lens from which we all see from APDs as parents, as partners. And it gave us a realistic appreciation for exactly what John had communicated earlier, that even though there was a pause, life went on. We didn't meet, but the residency still is going okay. We didn't meet, but eventually they were okay with putting in central lines. Because of COVID, all of us now look at meetings and say, do we really have to drive 30 minutes in traffic for us to sit together to say, I approve of these minutes? Can I just approve of these minutes and say, I believe you, this took place last week? No, I didn't mean, think about like the meetings that I go into in person now. It's by far at least half or more because I, I now feel comfortable. Hey, I have to take the kids to school that day. I'll pop on a Teams while I'm in the car. I'm just listening anyways. And then I can be with my kids, drop them off at school, log in and actually maybe be physically there by the time the meeting's over. But I don't have to be there in person where before I would have rearranged my entire life to get my kids a ride to school so I could be at the hospital at 8 o'clock in the morning for a meeting. You ever been on a meeting and your kid's in the car and they hear something and they and they introduce an idea? They're like, wow, I didn't think about that one. Good play, Gavin. And so like, well, Dad, why don't you just blah, 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 blah. I was like, that's halfway decent, buddy. Really good. <laughs> Come look at this soccer game. So I was thinking, everyone, what we should do is, yeah. In my infinite wisdom. I've been sitting here gleaning all my resources, one of which is my kid in the backseat. What's funny about that is I completely 100% agree. It gives you flexibility. Sometimes I feel like then I'm still expected to be there no matter what, right? Like whether it's my one day off for the week that I got out of the hospital or I'm on vacation with my family, but like you could call into a Zoom. So some of it kind of creates a creep in a space that I, I don't necessarily love for my own wellness, but it also totally gives me more flexibility yeah. in other areas. Yeah, you bring that up. I feel like one of the negative sides of COVID is because we were all remote. It was if you're if you're remote, you're always available. Before COVID, you never worried. At least I can say I never worried that my camera was on in my house still from a meeting. Do you ever walk away and you're like, oh, did I? Am I? Let me just double check that I logged off of here before I do anything. Yeah, the always on camera, the always on mic, the always knowing Alexa or every absolute thing. And and I agree totally. And you guys are calling out such a great point with that. I was lucky that when I had my epiphany, for lack of a better term, I embraced that, that it really was okay for me to not be at that meeting. And so several of my leaders in different aspects of my universe started hearing the phrase for me, is my input essential for the meeting? And I would ask that question before committing. 
And so there were times where I would actually zoom in for a call on what was otherwise going to be be a day off because I then had made a conscious choice about that. And the value of doing that was actually worth it to me as opposed to the default position, which I think I had found myself in before, which was, well, of course, yeah, I can zoom in for a couple minutes. And that great realization that the world will be okay. And that has been the most freeing thing of my time to stick to the theme of free time. We often talk about this, but sometimes it's not about time management. It's about energy management. And that's my, that's my energy management plug as it were. I really needed that clarity and that control. And I have a lot of sympathy for people when you feel otherwise. Do you think that some of that changes as you advance in your career? I do. Because some of what we were talking about earlier is like in the beginning, I really felt like I had to say yes. And I probably did. Because if I didn't, I might not be here with you guys today, right? But as you get further in your career, I think you have a little bit more flexibility to maybe say those no's. You do, for sure. So this is a great conversation for many reasons, but just think, because we're all saying the exact same things from a different lens, but it's still the exact same thing. Think of how beneficial this conversation would be at a faculty development meeting in which everyone defines what free time is for themselves. And from that, you implement a policy so that long-term, wouldn't it be great if we could call off work because I'm too healthy to go into work today. You know, it's 72 degrees and my son also has the day off. Or it's 72 degrees and my partner has the day off. And if we could somehow adjust it so you could call in for a free day, how the longevity of what we do and how we practice. And that's a simple understanding of, hey, we're all human beings in this aspect. And to ensure the longevity, to ensure that you can be a PD that extra three or four years, because your impact and your impression on residents is so profound, is that podcast like this makes sense and have value because this is the catalyst for further conversation. So someone can implement a policy so that we can redefine. Think of what we do in medicine. We think as in central lines. When I was a resident, we put in central lines by what was called anatomical landmarks. Today, that's called witchcraft, sorcery. If I put in a subterranean line in front of my residence without an ultrasound, we would leave the room and they would call HR. I have no idea what Dr. Corbett's doing, but it looked a little bit like witchcraft. We did not use an ultrasound. The patient learned okay. It was kind of risky business. My name is Anonymous Clinton. But with that, our practice has changed. Our role as APDs, as PDs, have changed. The conversation that we have with our residents now, some of it never even existed when we were residents, that space we provide. And with that, it it needs to parallel what we do as attending physicians, as PDs, as APDs, as individuals who want to kind of go outside of what we typically have done and do podcast. I think what I'm hearing is, is that we shouldn't use the same tools that our parents used or our predecessors used as a roadmap for how to do things, right? That's exactly right. Chris, your, your one point is so salient and it's an idea that's pervasive. And for all the emergency physicians out there listening and the residents that are looking for jobs, right? Things are very different, but I will say a large portion of the attending market actually don't have vacation time. Um, what we actually do is we hour shift, we responsibility shift. And so if I'm supposed to work 100 hours per month 
and I take a two-week vacation, it's not like I'm only working 50 hours that month. So anybody that's listening that thinks that that happens, that is, I would say, an atypical system. There are places where it may happen, but there are a lot of places where that doesn't happen. What that means is I'm now working 100 hours in the first two weeks to allow myself the space to have the time off. And that makes vacations, days off, weeks off, trips, very challenging and stressful. And particularly for academics, we talk a lot about conferences, right? When you have one conference and another conference and another conference, and they're all around fall, and they've designed all the conferences to not be certain weeks because of school, now everything gets compressed into these other weeks. And the next thing you know, you're working 10 days in a row to then be on the road 10 days on a row for what some people might think is a vacation, but we actually all know is really work. So that's one thing, the time compression, we need to be better and lead better. But I also loved what you were talking about, which I 100% agree with that idea of saying yes to things. And we had actually had an episode where we talked about that. I think even now, I actually say yes to a lot of things. But the difference that I know now that I would pass along to a younger version of myself is say yes to the opportunity, but not yet to the commitment. I will come to that meeting and I will see what it's about and make sure that it is in line with what I can best deliver for you. And I think there's a great period of time where you're exploring and trying to figure out like, That's why, I mean, all the awesome medical students, right, when they all submit their applications review and they are applying into EM now, but they were members of the anesthesia club and the internal medicine club and the pediatric club. And I applaud that because they were truly exploring their space. And it doesn't bother me at all when they're like, yeah, I was there for a year and I was out. Like, okay, cool, because you did that, right? I do worry about the ones that are still in all five of those clubs and are applying and you're like, how? But but that is such an important thing. It's not to shut down your opportunities. But what I was bad at was clinging to it. I got in, it was an opportunity that opened a door and I thought while reaching for the next opportunity, I got to keep my foot in that door so that don't close. And then one day I looked around, I had 80 legs and 80 doors holding everything, just barely standing up. I think the next phase is also, as you think about the person that gets the opportunity, when you give somebody an opportunity, that, that to me, that's the biggest change now is, is that the questions I ask when an opportunity is offered is it used to be yes. And now it's, I have some questions for you. And it's amazing how quickly some people are like opportunity off the table. And I'm like, well, good. If you're not going to answer some questions, you just made my life easier. But I asked some questions because those are the things that I need to know. I have four sets of questions every opportunity goes through, and I have to say yes to three of them to take it. There was a time in my career, I, it didn't matter. So the four questions are, does it align with my current goals? Do I have the time to do it? Is this something I want to do? And do I get paid? And so to do anything, it has to meet three of those four. Because I'm willing to not get paid if it's something I want to do, aligns with my goals, and I have time. I'm willing to do something I might not like, but aligns with my goals. I have time for what I get paid. Like it has to meet three of those four or it's an automatic. No. And I tell people like, look, it comes down to the fact that this only meets a couple of these four. And I tell them like, these are the four Listen questions the I podcast. ask. <laughs> and it's like, here, here are the, here are my four questions. And I've gleaned these from reading and talking to people who have gotten really good at saying no. And have still had these great careers and great lives without doing everything. It's the, these are the four questions I put every opportunity through And then when I say no, I don't just say no. I say, look, I appreciate the offer. Here's why I'm saying no. 
and I'll spell out the four. And then I say, but I know somebody who might be interested and I tee it up for somebody else. But those are the four questions I put everything through. We've actually been doing a study that is not, we haven't published it yet, obviously, but. Um, you heard it first here. It was a qualitative study, which uh, has been a really cool experience to get to code all of the data and listen to all of these interviews, but for female leaders in emergency medicine. Um, and I think most of the data that's in it is not gender specific in all honesty. But those three things are literally how everybody said to say no. Like it was, so the money question was not included, but it was, does this align with my goals? And that's where I think there's the most questionable early in your career because you don't necessarily know what your goals are yet. And when I started my career, like having running GMD was not there and I would not have known like, does doing gender equity research align with my goals? I really have no clue. So I think that one is kind of the most up in the air, but do I have time for it? Is it important enough for me to make time for it type of thing? Like those, all of your questions were in there and are in Almost all of us. Yeah. And I'll open it like Lexi did earlier. Early on in my career, if I would have had those four questions, I wouldn't have done probably two thirds of the stuff I've done. I just wouldn't have because they wouldn't have been through the filter. But there comes a point where it's you have the right and I think the responsibility to yourself and the people that you interact with to come up with a set of rules and say there is a there is a set of filters that every decision goes through. And if it meets the cut, you do it. And if it doesn't, you just unapologetically say, look, it, it doesn't meet my filter. But giving it to somebody else also is our own form of sponsorship. And I think that that's been one of the ways Lexi and I have both helped each other in our careers when if I don't have the time to do something, but maybe it interests her. We both got asked the other day, do you want to give a lecture for this? And it, her answer was no. And I was like, well, I have an, a lecture that actually a lines up with this. So my answer will be, sure, this makes sense. Like I can easily do it because I have something very similar in the past. And I get two nights at a hotel. Sure, I'm down. I'll take a vacation. I'll clarify. Getting paid is my time is compensated, whether it's you pay for my flight in my hotel. I'll still do things for free, but it has to meet the other three things. It's got to be what I want to do, have the time, and align with my goals. This is a cool – this would be a good opportunity for my family. Yeah. It'll be a trip for my – you know, for exactly. us to take as a group. And I give this lecture that's almost done. Sure, yes, I'll say yes to that. So I'd like to extend, extend a multiverse challenge. Just for the thought experiment of, and this is one of the things that I'm richly interested in and really don't know how it plays out sometimes. It's more a thought experiment than anything else. But I wonder if you earlier in your career had asked those same questions about opportunities, would you not have still participated in the same things? Because the assumption is that you wouldn't have. But interestingly, my question is, would you have actually still done the ones you did because what you valued, what you considered reimbursement for your time, would they have been different? And the ones that you ended up doing that never went anywhere, would you actually have taken them on? So it's a fun thing. And I only ask this because someone that is a mentor to me had challenged me because I had made that. And they said, I wonder if that's a false assumption because we all need to feel and it's not bad, by the way. This is not a value judgment. I, you you are an amazingly successful, awesome human being. All of you are. So you're here now. But as like a way of giving advice to others, sometimes we need the story to sit right in our head. And we need to say, well, naturally, I needed to have done that to do that to do that. And we do that 
a little bit like Chris was actually pointing out, which is such a phenomenal, insightful comment, that the same tool is kind of that what got you here won't get you there. Are we applying it through a lens to our learners or to others that maybe is a false construct? And so I wonder if some of the things, because you and I, I can definitely say both, took on opportunities where at the end of the thing, all you did was give away your time, your energy, or your skills. And arguably, maybe I can figure out something that I got back, but I got nothing life-changing or altering or of significance yeah, back. The, but the question is, did you need that experience? Did you honestly need that experience for you to grow? Did you need to lose that game to realize you need to change the way in which you play? Maybe, but sometimes you didn't lose the game. Sometimes you played the match and you just... So that's tough. It's, it's yeah. tough to answer that question because... That's why I posted to all you smart people. That's a great question because we see this from totally different... Yeah. Once you've gone through it. Exactly. Like today, I would not put a central line in without utilizing an ultrasound. If you would have asked Chris Colbert this exact same question 12 years ago, you would have had a different answer and the culture of where I would have had a huge impact on that. But now, aren't you also super proud of the fact that you can do it when the ultrasound doesn't work or somebody else is using it? So would you give up that experience as well? But it's kind of back to Alexi's point. The layer to what I'm getting at is, I think you say yes to experience breadth and give yourself permission to then, once you find it, that's when those questions start to allow you to go deep and really start to filter out the things that you go, maybe they're, maybe they're interesting, but not core. Maybe they're fun, but not essential or whatever. Well, I also think when we look back at things, how kind of the lens through which we do that or the mindset, right? Like I would guess that many of us are like growth mindseted people and we so to look back, like you can either say that was a complete waste of my time and I gained nothing valuable, or you're going to find that one thing that was valuable from almost any experience. And so to look back, if you still are capable of finding the positives in it and what you learned, gained, gleaned from it, there probably is still some value in it, even if it wasn't changing up your practice, your career, et cetera. So accurate. To be fair, when I approached some of the things that I had done in the past, looking at that way, you absolutely have to disengage that mindset and you almost have to become business transactional. And if I asked you as a spiritual being or as a kind human or as a good person or as a forward thinking individual to tell me how this, because everything we experience impacts us or can impact us. If you look at it like a business person, you go profit loss. Right. Did this add, truly add, or am I looking for a justification? And if you allow yourself, it's a fun thought experiment. It doesn't have to change who you are, but it's a fun thing to kind of go, it really is okay to say that was kind of a waste of my time. <laughs> I would have met Chris Colbert anyway at another conference and another. It turns out that that really didn't add a lot. But then to say, have I changed what would have what led me to do that? Do I use the four questions now? Do I have my own personal set of rules or questions? Or what can I do to keep that from happening again in the future? And that's how you can now gain that positive from it again. So. 
So what would be your advice to somebody the next time an opportunity comes? One piece of advice on how they should best plan their spare time. Be deliberate. Make setting time for yourself and your free time a priority. The same way you do for getting up and brushing your teeth and making sure there's gas in your car and there's food in the refrigerator, you have to ensure that you are deliberate and carve out a space for your free time. If you don't carve out a space, your life will let you know now you have to make a space. So be deliberate and utilize that time for you. I think I can play off of that really well because I am very deliberate about like my morning routine and I have found you also have to then be flexible. If spending 30 minutes this morning meditating, doing what I, what I do in the morning is actually stressful to me because I know I have this very short schedule today and I want to spend some time with my kid, maybe being flexible about that and saying, today's not the day for a 30-minute morning routine and I'm going to spend that time running or with my family or something else is necessary just because of the way the day looks and that's going to be less stressful than me than trying to force in this thing that I think I should be doing. And so I I found like being deliberate about my things, but then also being flexible with not a perfectionist. And our days are never going to look the same every day. I mean, I don't think any of us are getting up at the same time every day and going to bed at the same time every day. So being flexible with what our schedule is for that day and how we adjust it, I think is important too. I think one of the big things for me as a relative people pleaser is when I put things on my schedule for somebody else, I previously did a really good job of doing that, but when I put things on my schedule for me, I didn't always do a great job of doing that thing for me and realizing that I needed to prioritize myself maybe more so than I needed to prioritize everybody else, right? And probably like in the past year or so, I've really been able to settle into that and like make those boundaries better. So I kind of wish that I had told myself that seven years ago when I started down this path. So yeah, I don't know if that makes sense. I hope it does. It does. And it's very insightful. I appreciate that. I'm going to play off the deliberate as well and use something that I've given before as a as a point, but I'm going to addend it with the deliberate. No is a complete sentence. However, my addendum after talking to you insightful people is use it deliberately and kindly. Mine would be to give yourself grace in this process. You are going to mess this up. We didn't get that far in the podcast. But in trying to be better at spending your time, you are going to find yourself doing things you should not be doing or doing commitments that you shouldn't be in. And you need to learn how to gracefully exit those. But know that this is not an exact science. The five of us around the table, you might think that we have it figured out, but even what we practice today still comes back and that didn't work. So give yourself grace in the process of it's okay if you try to be really deliberate and you forget one day you fall off the wagon and you know you let everybody take over your time or if you want to set time for yourself and then that blows up because an emergency happens so give yourself some grace because this is easy to get yourself very angry at yourself or mad at yourself if you can't manage this correctly so as john likes to say a lot is give yourself a little bit of grace in the process don't let like perfect be the enemy of good sometimes it's easy to be like i didn't i didn't work out today so the rest of the week is a wash right but it's okay you can mess up you're gonna continue to mess up. the gym's not going anywhere yeah for better or worse. <laughs> well, we appreciate everybody hopping on for this episode of the Em Over Easy podcast. If you're listening and want to hear more, you can head over to our blog, emovereasy.com. And don't forget to follow us on our social media pages, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.